Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand, from Luminary Media. This week's episode is with David Lynch. It's astonishing and phenomenal and educational and like tumbling into the turbine mind of a very unusual and brilliant person. There's a little bit of promo that I'm going to do. Firstly, you can come and see me in conversation with David Lynch talking about meditation, spirituality, live. You'll have, you can have a podcast experience of it in a moment. And then on June the 9th, come and see me live talking to David Lynch. Uh, it's a benefit, of course, and the person that benefits is me. No, it's a benefit for uh, the David Lynch Foundation, which takes meditation to people that can't afford to pay for it. In this case, they'll be providing meditation to Friendly House in Los Angeles, which is uh, a residential treatment centre for women with drug, alcohol and uh, addiction issues. So all benefit, all the proceeds will go to that, which is a fantastic cause, which I'm very pleased to be involved with go to russellbrand.com so yeah that's 9th of june fond of theater los angeles if you want to come and see that in la on the june on the june for the nine uh go to russellbrand.com to to get your tickets i think it's expensive is it but uh it's all going to teach meditation to women in friendly house getting better from addiction so you know and also you don't have to go so don't go if you think it's too much money we're on the new podcast app for Luminary. Sign up at luminary.link forward slash Russell to get three months for free. Under the Skin will be exclusively available on Luminary from the 25th of May. That's next Saturday. So now is the time to sign up for that app and to take advantage of this three months for free thing. Because otherwise, like in a week, is it a week? You're going to like try and download it and you won't be able to. So just go to Luminary, get three months for free, and if the end of that three months for free, you think, oh, I don't want to pay six quid a month for the premium content on Luminary, then don't. That's, you know, you know how it works. So listen, there's some amazing stuff I'm doing. I'm doing these recovery live shows, so keep looking at russellbrand.com and my social media uh, platforms, should we call it? Because the shows, uh, they... Uh, they, the tickets go pretty quickly I've been doing them at a place called Wanderlust in sort of Hollywood I guess you would call it so come, come, come and see them they're good shows, they're good shows some interesting people have been turning up it's probably good for that alone turn your chair around, look at the audience um, also look at my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos I've just started calling them spiritual videos sometimes I'm like I have to have conversations about them out in the world like at work and stuff oh I see those spiritual videos and I have to go yeah yeah I do them <laughs> like it's just me saying what I feel and what I think based on the principles of the 12 steps and a lifetime of dealing with a mentally ill person I am that mentally ill person. So we do free a week. Go on the YouTube channel. What's the YouTube channel called? Just Russell Brand. Forward slash Russell Brand. On YouTube. Well, that's, you know how to do that. Just put Russell Brand in YouTube. You'll see me there. You'll enjoy it. Also, Mentors is out as an audio book in uh, the US and in Canada. It's out as a hardback as well. Why don't you get it from a little independent bookstore run by a little tiny little man. Tiny man struggling against the system. Or get it off Amazon, a giant, powerful corporation that will surely soon become like a kind of nation, really. 
Do you think it will? Do you think so? David Foster Wallace predicted that there would be sort of corporate nations. In a way, perhaps we've always had corporate nations. Perhaps the British Empire was the first operating as the kind of military muscle behind the East India Tea Company in the colonisation of former British colonies. Anyway, don't worry about all that. Go and watch Rebirth on Netflix. It's me talking about um, my involvement in politics, some of my spiritual realisations, what it's like to be present at the birth of there are two daughters and so many daughters uh still not enough though i want more daughters get in touch with me on social media let me know what you think about the podcast it's uh, on twitter it's at rusty rockets hashtag under the skin on instagram true russell brand uh, follow that if you're not following it already nice pictures little spiritual quotes spiritual videos <laughs> who doesn't like that before we get into under the skin last week's episode was with uh Lena Dunham, who I adore. What a beautiful, talented, wonderful person. Lindsay Russell, who's off Blue Peter, the British TV show. Did you know that? Yep. Well, she is. I've listened to the podcast again and again. Looks like Slins underscore Blue Peter. Why would someone have Blue Peter as part of their... Why, why don't you check on Twitter how many people have got Blue Peter in their name and then aren't presenters? I've listened to this podcast again and again, but never found an episode so honest, engaging, real, in inverted commas, and actually incredibly helpful. Such a fantastic episode. I've always loved at Lena Dunham. Yeah, me too. And now I adore her. Always goes without saying that I think Rusty Rockets is great. Well, it doesn't go without saying, thankfully. It's been said, because without saying it would be a terrible omission. Emilcra13. I didn't start listening to this episode with the most open of minds, and honestly was a little put off before listening. I'm glad I listened anyway. I found this episode quite interesting and insightful. Keep following your gut, Russell. At True Russell Brand. Stars, some floating stars. Tarabier. Loved both of you together. Your conversation was extremely stimulating. Yeah, she's a wonderful and brilliant person, Lena Dunham. And I'm astonished that she gets the grief that she does. She's wonderful. Natalie, 1972. You were totally outshone by her wit, charisma, intellect, humility, vocabulary and charm. Could hear that realisation in your voice. Hope you learned something. I certainly did. It certainly takes more than a conversation with a talented person for my sense of self to evaporate, dear. I'm uh, channeling other dimensions, but I appreciate your... What, what, what was it? Gentle abuse? That's Natalie, 1972. Emoji of a V sign backwards and a sort of... A smug emoji, I'm going to call it, <laughs> appropriately. No, I love you, Natalie, and I, I couldn't agree more. Lena Dunham's an absolutely fantastic person. Oh, but now, let us launch face first into the... I don't know how to describe David Lynch, really. If you're not familiar with his films and his artwork and his music and his animation and he, he, just his coffee... Get ready, get ready for David Lynch. He's a person like this. Is my favourite bit of the interview, I'd have to say, is when I bring up the bag of our gear, and he sort of leaps into to the subject with such sort of depth, breadth of knowledge, specificity, and theological acumen. But it's I felt another I felt another realm knocking at the door of the membrane of my mind and surely that's what you want with David Lynch hope you enjoy this fantastic episode of Under the Skin trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route yes that's, that's, that's exactly right we're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss it doesn't look like an ideology what's beneath the surface of people we admire of the ideas that define our time the history we are told and welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin 
thank you very much for doing this um, podcast, David. I just want to have a conversation with you for an hour. I've obviously interviewed you in the past, and uh, whenever I see you, I immediately recall that often I end up talking about oddly puerile things with you. Notably, you saying that transcendental meditation would improve the quality of my masturbation. I seem to is one jewel. That... I said you would like pornography even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the meditation must have been working because it's been some time since I've looked at pornography. My relationship with uh, primal desires has changed a great deal. Mm-hmm. How uh, has it changed, Russell? Well... I feel that I have more time to observe, for example, when I feel feelings of anger and frustration. I feel like I have a choice now. If, for example, as a heterosexual man, when I'm looking at a female, I feel like, do I want to look at this woman and objectify her? Is that a healthy thing for me to do for me? Not not actually even from a moral perspective, but from the perspective of my own serenity, which I've started to treasure. Yeah. Like they say, the prisons are filled with people who didn't have that um, moment or two to think before they acted. Um, and so, you know, it's a very good thing to have that, you know, little bit of time. Yes, I think it is. Um, it, obviously, you've been meditating. It must be probably nearly 40 years now. 46 years in, oh, wow. in July. Never missed a session. mm <laughs> so, uh, but I remember you speaking before about um, that you used to feel a lot of frustration and anger. Uh huh. I had a big anger, and um, you know, a lot of you know regular stuff. And I started meditating on July first, nineteen seventy-three, and two weeks later, my first wife. I've told this story twenty-five million times. My first wife comes to me. And she says, what's going on? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, this anger, where did it go? And I took all this anger out on her. And um, I didn't even try it. I didn't even think about it. It lifted automatically. Like they say, when you ramp up the light, darkness, you don't have to try. Darkness goes automatically. So it's kind of amazing. I just got rid of it. It just went on its own. So... Uh, and you get happier inside. Have you noticed this trend has continued over the time you've been meditating with your own nature? I say that um, always life becomes more like a game than a torment. And you see a bigger picture. So it's really way more fun to be alive and uh, all these things get more thrilling. And also, I think, like I said, the events of our life may stay the same, but how we go through them will be way better. The lows won't be so low, and the highs will be even, you know, greater. So it's, um, and this thing about enjoying the doing is always, you know, seems to be getting um, a little bit more all the time. Just loving to do stuff, loving, loving all the little things uh, of doing. 
creativity but also just yeah. being with your youngest child or? yeah yeah it's like um that's another thing relationships you kind of like know people more and you see the way they are and even people that really have you know pissed you off or you know done something uh you see um more good in them and and just they are that way and you just it's just all kind of not it's like you don't feel like you know very rarely do, do you feel like killing someone yeah, I see. So you feel less attached to your personal perspectives. I often <laughs> wonder about your... Because your name has become an adjective, because your films, I think... I think some of the images in your films have become the... Uh, what do I want to say? The grammar of the way we understand that reality as we understand it conceals a darker nature beneath the... Not necessarily darker. Uh. You know, like, it could... You know, that's all what, what they say, you know. I mean, just in the films, I'm sure. But um, um, just things that are hidden. Mm. And that's the whole thing about, you know, meditation. You get to the, the, the thing that is the most hidden. Like, they say the transcendent is hidden in the field of relativity, and the whole field of relativity is hidden in the field of the transcendent. And so... It's like being like uh, detectives, human beings. We are looking for what is the real thing, and it's there, way, 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 way within. And so, discovering from the surface many bad things underneath, but also maybe discovering, you know, more and more good things too. Do you think then that it's a misunderstanding of your work that uh, you... I feel like people... When people say Lynchian, I feel like they mean weird and they mean dark underbelly. Yeah. Um, and I feel like just without um, with without a deep analysis, my sense is that when you are revealing what's underneath, it's often peculiar and sometimes amoral and sometimes nihilistic. You know, like it, it, it feels to me like a, it's uh, that you are because uh, uh, rejecting a lot of frameworks, a lot of uh, references that we would have to categorize what is moral, what is normal, what, you know, this is for me, I, it feels like often there's a kind of craziness in it. It doesn't, I, I can't think of as many examples where what is revealed is plain beauty. No, that's true. In the films, that's really true. And I think there's still, like, you know, from the, I don't know when it started exactly, maybe in the 50s, things that were hidden are not talked about uh, started coming to light more and more things and um, so I still think there's some um, bad things going on that we don't know about but um, they're going to be revealed you know sometime soon do you mean uh Politically, do you see like all uh, structures and political systems and culture as an expression of this of these deeper energies? Not all, just pol politics. 
but you know, in every everywhere. But in the world, I feel like there's still something going on that we don't know about. Regular regular people don't know about. Do you mean that in a conspiratorial way, or do you mean? Yeah, the I'm a conspiracy theorist. Sort of guy. Yeah. <laughs> do you mean the organization and control of power? Then, yeah, I, you know, everybody's get wind of these kind of things, but uh, we don't know about it for sure. Hmm. Do you, I wonder if sometimes our sense that there is conspiracy is derived from our intuitive understanding, as you say, as detectives, that there are deeper levels of reality that we are not. I think intuition is the thing, and they call you a conspiracy theorist as a bad thing, but people have intuition and they feel things, and they feel something's going on these days, you know, in this particular kind of world that isn't right, and everything seems to be sort of ass backwards, and you wonder why it can't get figured out to be good. And that comes back to um, Maharishi bringing out this knowledge, this Vedic knowledge, science of consciousness, technologies of consciousness for enlightenment for the human being and peace on earth. And so that's what is, you know, for me, uh, the magic that's going to change things and uh, for the real good. And so we should concentrate on getting those peace greeting groups bigger and and on a permanent basis and watch things get very, very good and all these other things will either be revealed or or just evaporate, change. You don't feel then that solutions can be reached through further political discourse, but there has to be a change from elsewhere. Yeah, talking, you know, like when you watch TV and you hear the people talking... They don't change any minds, really, and so it's um, you know you. It's like a football game. You're on one side or the other, and um, it's it's over time. You kind of see a change, but day to day you don't see it. Like I heard this band from the '80s or '90s, maybe, and a certain kind of feel in the music, and then I heard their latest album. And it's complete. It's changed. It's changed. And um, I think, you know, in big blocks of time, you you can see it's a better world today than it was. But it's definitely not, you know, a uh, world at peace. The Maharishi, uh, like you regard as your guru and your teacher, and of course, meditation is central to your life. What uh, importance and significance do you place upon the accompanying theology and philosophies in which meditation is couched? The Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita. Do you feel that there's important information here, and do you uh, is it part of your philosophy? Yeah, for sure. They say knowledge and experience. So that's how we grow through knowledge and experience, and the experience is transcending, and the knowledge. Um, goes along with that. If you didn't really know what, you know, certain experiences were, you could find the answer, for instance, in reading uh, the Bhagavad Gita. Maharishi translated the first six chapters, and they're in book form. And that supposedly takes up to cosmic consciousness. So I read these things sometimes, and I'm telling you, Russell, Maharishi's commentaries 
are like Lord Krishna talking to Lord Krishna. You know, it's like, um, it's so, they're so deep and so fantastic. These commentaries on these verses in the Bhagavad Gita, and they say that's the essence of the Vedic wisdom, the Bhagavad Gita. So it's very good to read those things and contemplate those things and in relationship to the experience of transcending every day. Do you feel that your do you have a sense of mission david no um i have a th- i have a thing where i feel like i'm i'm um on the path i'm not enlightened but i have um there are you know there are people that are you know sort of here highly evolved people and then there are people who haven't really any interest in, you know, meditation. And it's almost like two two different worlds. They're far too far apart. I kind of play in the middle, and I can understand them to a certain degree, the higher, and I can understand, you know, the people who haven't you know, got any interest. And I can um, somehow... Uh, tell these people about meditation in such a way that they they might you know something might click and they say oh I would really like that and so I'm somewhere in the middle. Hmm. And you you feel that it's important to that- talk about it. I never like to talk. I never like to go in front of people. But uh, Maharishi got me out and uh, through Bobby and Roger John and. Uh, I always feel high after I've talked about it, but before it's a torment. I, I, you know, I don't know why I, I, you know, got myself involved with it. But when I finish, I feel good. Yeah, you feel incredibly anxious in those mm-hmm. in in those moments of anxiety <laughs> and fear. How uh, how useful to you is the connections that you have made in the transcendent, or how useful is your practice? How to that, you, yeah, how yeah, do you it, use it it. Um, um, I feel like, see, we don't know what we we would be like without meditation. So even though I have anxieties, I I'm pretty sure they're much less than they would have been. Do you see what I mean? I can't prove that. I don't know, but I get through it, and um, I'm a pretty happy camper. Mm. Yes, yes. So the idea is that if a significant number of people were to meet and meditate regularly, it would alter the consciousness of the planet in ways that we can't rationally understand. Exactly right. It's like um, I use the analogy of uh, two trees. One tree is for the individual, and one tree is for the world. And the individual tree, you see that the branches are drooping, the leaves are kind of brown or yellow, they're not like all beautifully green, and the tree is not in good health. So um, most um, things going on to help the trees are on the level of the leaves or the branches. And all these charities, you know, all these different things are, are they're very good, but they're, they're not on a, on a deep enough level. And 
So the experienced gardener, they say, waters the root. And so this is where uh, meditation comes in, to, to this transcendent. Get to that deepest level and automatically the whole tree starts coming up to perfection. The leaves get green, the branches get really strong. Then flowers appear and they could represent higher states of consciousness and then that fruit appears, enlightenment. In the world tree, it's the same thing. Water the root and the peace creating groups are diving within as a group and they say the effect is quadratically squared more powerful when they're together in a group. So it's very, very powerful enlivening of this transcendent, the same feel the individual's experiencing, but because it's a group, it's very powerful. And as Rajatan says, it goes isotropically in all directions at, at once. Boom, big power. And it goes at the speed of light. Boom, out, when they, when they all light up. And so it's easy to see at the speed of light, it goes over to Kansas and, you know, um, down to Australia from India very quickly. And it, and it raises collective consciousness. And so all the branches of the world, all the leaves of the world start getting better. Uh, like they say, a man goes to bed filled with anger and wakes up and wonders where it went. It just makes everybody feel better when you enliven this thing. It makes them not want to kill people. It makes them, you know, start changing and enjoying life. And so this is the secret, watering that root, getting it from that deepest level and taking advantage of these technologies. And, and um, all these things are in the works, but these groups aren't big enough. And, and still people, um, it seems like the billionaires of today are the last people that will see the, the truth of this. And the poor people are the ones that would want to help, but they don't have the wherewithal. Well, this must mean then that consciousness <laughs> or Brahman is the primary element of reality and that the material world of phenomena is secondary. You are, you know, we're getting into some heavy stuff here. <laughs> uh, they say consciousness alone is. And so if you think about it that way, um, every little squirrel and babbling brook and star and Russell and David and, and all of us, we're nothing but consciousness. It's weird. Consciousness can turn itself into all the things. And consciousness is, um, it's, like, um, it's like so magical. These Vedas, these Vedas are the laws of nature, right? And they exist eternally in the absolute, in the unified field. And these Vedas, it's such a fantastic thing, Russell. They're, they're, um, they start with the letter A, ah. And ah, they say, is unbounded infinity. And ah holds everything. And in Vedic mathematics, it's the big reverberating zero. It holds everything. And the analogy is like the hollowness of the bunion seed holds the whole bunion tree. And these Vedas, they unfold in a sequence. And 
But in the transcendent, a sequence implies passage of time. Mm. But there's no time and no space in the transcendent. So they unfold in a sequence, but simultaneously. And out comes uh, a universe. And they say universes are bubbling up in the space-time foam just while we're talking right now. And they say in the out there in the void, there's almost an infinite number of universes. And there's a story about this young boy floating in the void. He's floating in the void, and in every pore of his body, his skin, there is almost an infinite number of universes. Do you ever want to make more literal films about things like that? Not, I don't know, because um, if it happened in a natural way, um, I kind of work in reverse. I get ideas, and then later I say, oh, that sort of is like that. I don't work like I want to do a thing about this. Hmm. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, in trying to communicate, it seems to me like uh, the the two like the these two things that I know you for. I know you, like you know like you sort of do sculpture, sculpture, make furniture, make films, make music, make animation, and then I know you for your sort of philanthropic meditation based work. It um. Yeah, what's your feeling around like earnestness, sincerity, and worthiness? Because like a lot of your stuff is either comedic or nihilistic or erotic or surreal. It don't feel like you're. I never really see you being. Uh, what do I want to say? Sort of like hand wringing or sincere about stuff. I'm sincere about the ideas and translating the ideas to one medium or another. Mm. I fall in love with certain ideas, and I want to realize those. I remember that time I asked you because I was this is a little while ago I was directing a video as part of a, f a film I was making and you said in your head there is a television set <laughs> <laughs> you have to get these ideas from the television set exactly right the problem was is that at that point I was at a different frequency of consciousness David and what was on that television set in my head was uh, women that worked in the pornography industry. So that, <laughs> that's who was cast in that video. <laughs> I was manifesting. See, but you got it from there to the screen. <laughs> that's all that matters. That's the key thing. <laughs> Try not to judge it morally. No, 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 no. You would, get, so you would never be able to work. You got to say goodbye to, you know, just realize the ideas that you fall in love with. And... Um, and, and there's, there's all these Vedic expressions, like man has control of action alone, never the fruit of the action. So I take that as meaning you do what you believe in, you're translating those ideas, and when they're finished, you say, you say okay, it's done, and you don't know how it will go in the world. It's just the, the fantastic thrill of making them and getting them to be feel correct based on the idea. And um, it's just a fantastic thing. That process ever cause you frustration or pain? No, there's frustration along the way if it if it's not the idea and it's not right or things aren't you know the money in there or this or this is happening. But there's another expression: keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. So just keep concentrating on from the television screen in your mind or the big screen in your mind or whatever it is. Get those things. You know, every detail of that, um, as good as you can get um, in, in front of you to get in the, on the film or 
in the painting or whatever. Isn't it amazing how you've managed? Is it because of this game rather than tournament mentality? Tournament, yeah. Uh-huh. That you've managed to avoid the compromise that people consider to be necessary. Compromise is the worst thing. It's a bad, bad word. Um, they say in the government, well, we should compromise. That means the good isn't as good as it was, and the bad is not as bad. So it's, I think, in a perfect world, in a world at peace, there wouldn't be a, any compromise. It's just you'd see very plainly the best way to go, and you'd make decisions that really help the people. So many people are suffering, and um, so... It, it really gets me that, you know, like um, I heard on TV that 48 million Americans go to bed hungry every night. 46 million Americans are living in poverty. And um, they got these people that are supposed to make things, they're representatives of these people that go over to this place and they, they're not really taking care of the, you know, the people so much. Yes, it's sort of like an abstract process, isn't it, politics? A minute ago when you talked about uh, people that are billionaires, like their their attachment is to material and people that have uh, nothing sort of often don't have the time or facility or wherewithal to enter into a spiritual life. Well, no, I didn't say that. They don't have the money to help create, you know, peace, help, you know, pay for more pundits to... Practice, to be peace-creating experts on a permanent basis. Using your um, metaphor of water, the root, and the root being understood to be our consciousness as individuals or as a society, and although obviously there will be a point where those distinctions become irrelevant, do you, it, uh, will, am I right to, in saying that you believe that the solution to political problems such as the 48 million hungry mm-hmm. Americans would be a continuing process of personal and social enlightenment? It's a, it would be a, a process of enlivening that field of unity in the midst of diversity and and therefore getting peace. And then uh, there'd be some kind of thinking uh, amongst the leaders, so-called leaders, that would benefit the people and um, there wouldn't be uh, anyone suffering. There, there wouldn't be anybody going to bed hungry. There still may be some differences in the amount of, you know, um, money or, you know, uh, goods or cars or whatever, but it would be like Sam would have what he needed and it, what he was really happy with. Susie might have more, but that was just exactly what she liked and wanted. And but Sam wouldn't have a problem with Susie. If if he saw Susie having this, you know, new better car, if he started desiring a better car, chances are one would come along. Do you think that this then is perhaps a Carly Yurt? as Vedically described, an era of darkness. The Kali Yuga. Yuga. Yeah. So there's um, four ages that go around and around and around. Oh, you got a problem? No, we just hold that up. That's periods of time. That uh, d- that means 30 minutes of talking has happened now. We've demonstrated uh-huh. <laughs> that using a three and a zero. <laughs> That's three 10-minute periods. Uh-huh. So that for Are we your... doing good? 
I think we're doing fantastically okay. well. I'd stay here and talk to you, you know, <laughs> and t until you tire of it. I know you have um, you have restrictions, but you're saying about the yeah. There's these Kali giant, yoga. giant blocks of time, and in the field of relativity, um, everything has a lifespan. So some really short, some very, very long, and um, there's these giant blocks of time. And down in the quicker blocks of time, there's these things called yugas, ages. There's sat yuga, and sat yuga is the longest of the four ages. And sat yuga is 100% uh, bliss, a golden age, and people live to be 100,000 years during the sat yuga. And uh, then the next yuga is the Treta Yuga, and it is three quarters the length of Sat Yuga, and it's 75% bliss, 25% non-bliss, or you could say 75% positive, 25% negative. And people live to be 10,000 years old in that Yuga. Then there's, uh, I think, Dipara Yuga, you pronounce it, um, half the length of Sat Yuga, and in that yuga, people live to be a thousand years, and it is 50% bliss, 50% non-bliss. Then there's the Kali Yuga, the shortest of the four yugas, one quarter the length of Sat Yuga. People live to be about a hundred years in the Kali Yuga. It's 75% non-bliss, 25% bliss, and it could even go down to almost zero. And uh, the Kali Yuga lasts 432,000 years. Oh, no. And we're 5,000 years into it we're right ages. now. Yeah. I thought we might see it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's a tough time. It's a time of suffering. And, um, but uh, souls can come in into this Yuga and uh, who, uh, either you could say, um, it's not all bad, but we, you could say we all deserve to be here during this time. Right. You could say that. <laughs> and um, so here we are. And But they say uh, there's these periods of uh, kind of a recess, and it's the age of Aquarius. The, and there's our solar system, they say, goes around a, a thing, I think Osiris is the name, takes 25,000 years. It's divided into 12. So there's these periods of 2,000 years or so. And we're just now leaving the Piscean Age, going into the Aquarian Age. And this may be the thing of a chance for 2,000 or more or more or more years of peace. And so... Um, that's something nice to think about. <laughs> I'm going to have a real good think about that. Yeah, but see, Maharishi brought a way for peace. That's the thing, Richard, uh, uh, Russell. And um, we got to, you know, um, I think you are, you know, uh, so powerful. You could use your good power to help that, you know, get going in this world and uh, this would be very, very good. Do you think that, David, that the what the Maharishi is talking about, what this system is talking about, is uh, 
liberating ourselves from the darkness of this period of Kali Yurt by accessing the transcendent, not being caught in the world of forms, which is often referred to as illusory in Vedic literature, that we can, even if we are living in some kind of preordained yoga, some period of time that is beyond us to control or limit or end, uh, that we can experience some bliss if we are able to not necessarily resist relinquish our uh, the, the hypnosis of material things or yeah. this way you the secret is transcending every day when you transcend every day um every time a human being transcends they infuse some of that pure consciousness that exists in the transcendent so they begin to truly expand whatever amount of consciousness they had to begin with. This expansion of consciousness um, is the expansion of intelligence, creativity, happiness, love, energy, power, and peace. All positive. So you get a person meditating every day, transcending every day. They're growing in these all positive qualities and the side effect is negativity is starting to recede from their life. So in the middle of a dark age, they're becoming a brighter and brighter light. They're, they're, they're happier and happier. Their relationships are improving more and more. They're getting more energy. They're getting all this stuff. And they're, they're unfolding their full potential, which is enlightenment. So it doesn't matter if it's the Kali Yuga or any other age, they're going to get the big enchilada you know the, it's enlightenment you're home free then total fulfillment immortality total liberation you step off the wheel of birth and death and you're home free it's difficult for us to understand a concept like enlightenment because i suppose we place it on some uh, what do i want to say metric of pleasure and happiness, which mm -hmm. is sort of bounded by our experiences as individuals. They okay, you know, you love pornography. Well, no, hold um. on. <laughs> now let's let's just pause for a moment because I've not you have watched. To cut this out. No, no, we'll leave this right in. We'll leave in every single second, even the bit okay. where you called me Richard. But the, I'm sorry, but Russell. <laughs> I, I can take it. I can take it in in endless, limitless space. I probably am Richard somewhere in these multiverses, and I bet he's having a wonderful time. Yeah, all um, right. Yeah, no, I don't like what I've not watched pornography for ages because I thought that it was nurturing an aspect of myself that was not beneficial. You know, I felt that that it, I felt that it it it's gone beyond a kind of a moral perspective, if I may say, because I know erotica is and I mean, perhaps even pornography is something that you're interested in. Because I know you like the carnal, I know you like the animal. <laughs> or at least I love a natural phenomenon. Yeah, organic natural phenomenon for sure. Yeah, you do like yeah. the natural organic phenomenon. Yeah, I love organic phenomenon. Are you, are you able to maintain? Say, like I, I read an interview of yours some time ago. You said you were getting. You said you like watching. Like you saw a bee being caught by, uh, you know, like a spider, and. Um, and I'm aware of you, like, sort of like, you know, Bobby once told me, and I've mentioned it to you before, about like that you would enjoy a rabbit at any point of its process, being born, living its life, decaying, that you mm -hmm. wouldn't attach any particular thing to it. Are you able to, <laughs> are you able to uh, say when you're, if you have to go on a talk show to promote something, mm -hmm. how, how are you, are you able to maintain this? Do do sometimes the sort of, what do I want to say, sterility and uh, sort of the oppressiveness of certain circumstances prohibit you and prevent you from being uh, spiritually free, say if you're on a talk show or something? 
Uh, <laughs> um, it wouldn't be a talk show that um, would prohibit me. It's it's the fact that um, uh, you could be if you were if one was enlightened, you'd be free. You know, no matter what the situation. So it's just like um, uh, get on the path. Meditate later. They say the most you can do for yourself is to transcend every day and do your meditation regularly and then go about your life. You'd be, you know, like I said, very comfortable in any situation if you were enlightened. And that's free free someone. Totally, total freedom. The game's over. You won. Is that how it was to be around the Maharishi, that he was free? Maharishi didn't, didn't ever suffer. He said one time he was in this... A uh, German bar in a basement brick skeller or something, and he had to spend the night there in a cold, you know, room in a German bar. And he said he almost suffered. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly suffered there. Yeah, almost. What about people that are in that, uh, that exist in that world of, say, shamanism or gurudom, uh, but? Do you think that there are some people that are hucksters, uh, charlatans? In Unfortunately, that world? it's it's you know they're here, there, and everywhere, and that's what makes people second guess the real thing, and it's a horrible, horrible situation. There are people out in the world that say, "Well, I'll teach you transcendental meditation," and they they may have been taught to be a teacher by Maharishi, but they've left the movement. And they're fiddling with this technique, and this is how the technique will lose its purity. The teachers that are within the movement, legitimate teachers, are protecting Maharishi's knowledge, so this technique will work now, tomorrow, and in the future. And it's so important. And uh, any, any um, you know, false prophet is going to get a bad, bad trip on the other side. It's so bad for, you know, uh, holding people back from something good. Mm, we must devote ourselves. You're yeah. very devoted. Well, I just, I, I, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, what is that one now? That's 40. That's 40. Not... Wow. We just have 10 minutes went by really fast. It just shot I forget by. what we talked about even. During that 10 minutes, there was. I think a lot of heavy stuff. Good real stuff. heavy. Kali <laughs> Yoga was oh, dispatched. Yeah, yeah. Four hundred twenty-five thousand years. <laughs> that of took at least negative. eight minutes. <laughs> we booted, yeah, we covered that. Yeah. <laughs> That's been dealt with. Don't know why yeah. they need all that time to have the whole Yoga if it can be discussed and described yeah, adequately. So fast, yeah. Gone. <laughs> They're dragging it out. We're in the golden age already. Thank God we're back to that. <laughs> it's much longer too. <laughs> and one hundred percent bliss. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, finally, <laughs> finally, a hundred percent bliss. Oh yes, we mustn't be. Oh yeah, devotion. I think we were talking about devotion. Uh huh. You are devoted. They say, okay, here's the deal. They say on the way to you start, you know, meditating and you start unfolding more and more. You reach a point of cosmic consciousness, and that is, um, you can you are twenty four seven transcended when you're sleeping. When you're awake, when you're dreaming, you're always transcended. They call it the silent witness. They also call the surveillance cameras silent witness. But this is a different kind of silent witness. And you witness things, you're free. But this trip isn't over. There's two states of consciousness above that. So 
after cosmic consciousness, they say you go on a path of devotion. It's a different kind of thing. I'm not there. So, but what happens is more and more and more. It's at first it's just the regular world, and then as you go along you start seeing deeper into things. Like if you saw a leaf, you'd start seeing maybe the molecular level of it. You'd start seeing more and more, and you start appreciating. You get this devotion for God or the Creator so much. The analogy is there's, they say, a sculptor, and he does this beautiful sculpture and is put in a, a, a town square somewhere over here. And there's a man who, when he saw that sculpture, he, every day from then on, he went and just sat and looked at this sculpture. And word got back to the sculptor, hey, there's this guy, and he's like so in love with your sculpture. He goes every single day to see it. Every, and he sits there and he's lost in it. And finally, the sculptor says, you know what, I'd like to meet this guy that loves my work so much. And this is this thing, you know, where Marge gave this talk called Shaking Hands with God. One day, you've perceived the celestial level of creation. You're so in love with the whole thing and whoever made it, and God appears. And then, that's not the end of the story, because there's still some duality. And then a thing happens, and you go a little bit higher, and all is one. It's all one. And you still see the diversity but unity is so thick in it in between all the objects is unity the objects are unity and you're you're there oh witness then sort of bhakti like love 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 the love becomes yeah, and then, then the next thing uh-huh yeah and then oneness yeah what do you think about whether or not we should take powerful hallucinogens okay here's the thing i think that um all those things they give an experience, but you don't own the experience. And your body pays a bit of a price for that experience. So um, it might be good um, for a little bit of it to open up maybe something. But those things will get opened up anyway uh, by transcending every day. So it's either, you know, I guess... Um, it just depends on the on the physical, you know, or emotional price uh, that those things, you know, those chemicals in your system do. You know, I smoke cigarettes, so uh, that's you know my thing. Yeah, you like those cigarettes. Don't I you? love, I love it, love tobacco so much. Sometimes you try and stop, but then you don't stop. Yeah, I say, say it's easy for me to stop. I've done it many times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you ever read that David Foster Wallace article? No. He, he was good, I think. Uh-huh. I, I never read it. He was on set on, mm-hmm. maybe it was Lost I never Highway. met him. I never met him. He didn't want to meet me. That's very strange. Yeah. He's a genius, I think. Uh, I don't know. I guess I hear that he is, yeah. His use of, what I like about him as a journalist, and he did it very brilliantly, because I guess he was writing for Premier Film Magazine about mm. like an on-set experience on Lost Highway. Um, and usually if you read, like, you know, there's a sort of a, a recognized trope of, 
you know, journalist on set for a film. Mm-hmm. Well, David Foster Wallace, he went so deep into sort of like the minutiae of like sort of talking about like the call sheet and the sides and what was on mm-hmm. it and, and the personality of particular actors and like the sort of the woman that was maybe your first AD on that particular picture. Very loving, very gracious, mm-hmm. very respectful of you, very respectful of the film. I find him interesting, David Foster Wallace, because his use of language was so beautiful. He had access to such a wide variety of ideas. And of course, ultimately, he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an alcoholic and like a person that I feel would have hugely benefited from access to a, a realm of limitless peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's curious that he was so sort of close to you in that moment, chronicled an experience very... Why didn't you read it? I don't know. I I, I would I, I when you're talking about, it, I'd like to read it. Yeah, you'd maybe like I'll it. read it. Yeah, yeah. You come across cool. Yeah, it's okay. Not like, it's not something you're reading. Hey, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, now my feelings have been hurt unnecessarily by reading this thing. <laughs> also, please, um, you've four children, and mm-hmm. like uh, Jennifer, I'm guessing she's. Maybe thirties or forties, maybe is she fifty-one? Oh wow! And Lula is a tiny, six. six. Mm-hmm. I remember her being born. So, like, what then? How has your experience of being a father changed over the course of those experiences? Ah, uh, great. Uh, I don't know. Um, I just love them all, and um, I, I, I know that. Um, well, I think you should talk to, you know, all four, you know, children, but as a father with small child, I'm no, not possibly so good. Why? I, I, I'm, I'm okay. Um, because, um, I think the work came first and that's, that's the thing. You were devoted to your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids ever. And now I've got four marriages and four kids. You must remain more focused on your intentions. <laughs> oh, I don't know what happened. See, the thing is, like, um, you can have these wishes, and, <laughs> <laughs> but um, life, you know, de- deals these things. The greatest thing, one of the greatest things that ever happened was, you know, m- my marriage to Peggy and the birth of, you know, Jennifer. It did something in me. Uh, it sort of, like, um, jumped me uh, and um, things went very well after that. It was a lot of a lot of great. I've been so lucky in life, but um, you know that did not curtail anything. It just helped things. You must exist primarily in your modality as creator and artist. Then this is the. I like to work. I like. I love ideas. I like to work. I like in that documentary when that neighbor's dad said to your father, hey, he's not fooling around in that mm-hmm. art studio. He's taking it pretty seriously. Exactly. So it was always in you. Yeah. Once I wanted to become a painter, that, that dad that said that, his son, Toby, um, one of my oldest friends, I met Toby on the front yard of my girlfriend's house. He later stole my girlfriend from me. Huh. But he told me something that was way you know, better than uh, that girlfriend. But um, he said, my father, I went talking to him, you know, we were just talking, I just meeting him for the first time out in this yard. And he mentioned his father was a painter. 
And at first I thought maybe a house painter, you know, and I thought, fine. But he said, no, 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 a uh, fine art painter. And, um, I, and a bomb went off in my head. And from that second, I wanted to be a painter. And I, I knew that I did wanted it before, but I didn't know it. But then I, now I knew it. That's it. And this process has never been painful for you. And it's never been attached to, say, for example, you know, you have you always naturally and organically been able to let go of the results, whether that's economic, financial results, approval, no, prestige? No, no, no. I haven't always been able to do that. Uh, I suffered um, just like everybody else. But the, the d- degree of suffering of something not going well uh, or like uh, failure... Um, I think without meditation, there's a couple of times being in my body was just a total torment and nightmares at night and uh, the daytime was worse. Awake was worse. So I think um, meditation will save people who have these things. It'll save your life and not only save it, but make it better and better and better. You get put on the path you're zooming toward the goal, and uh, as you zoom along, each each day gets better. And it's just, you know, so fantastic that this technique is here. Hmm. So you feel that you know, all of us have our own different dharma uh, actions and activities that we must fulfill, but irrespective of those distinctions, we all can benefit from... You're act. human beings. If you're a human being, this will work for you. Doesn't matter what religion... What walk of life, what color skin, nothing. If you're a human being, you can transcend. you got the nervous system for transcending. And away you go. Your work as an artist, do you feel that it's uh, brought you closer to God? Do you feel that it has alienated you from other people? Do you think it's made you more understood or less understood? Um, Just like you realize that... Uh, when you put something out, some people really like it and other people don't. And um, so uh, you appreciate the fact that some people like your work. Did it bring you closer to God? No, I think meditation would do that for sure. And transcending every day. And uh, what was the other part of the question? Alienate from people. Um, some people it alienates you'll work you know will alienate some people and um, and people under, and whether or not people understand you for your work or misunderstand you from your work there's a lot of misunderstanding but then there's some understanding you know all the people on the surface anyway are different so um, once you you understand that you know you're okay and it's like um you know, if you ask people what their favorite films are, you know, um, you're going to get so many different, you know, films. And it's just the way it is. But underneath all that, we are all one. At that level of the unified field, we're all one. We're a world family. And we should be getting along with one another. Being able to travel anywhere in the world and meet a friend, not an enemy. It would be so fantastic. I think this guy, Anthony Bourdain was a really great guy. Who is this? Anthony Bourdain. He was had a show on CNN called Parts Unknown. 
a greatest ambassador for America ever. And he was an alcoholic and he was a former heroin addict. And uh, but he was so fantastic. He would go to all these different places in the world and he would meet people through food and drink. And he would he'd eat anything and he would he would drink anything. And when he go to countries that no one had, there was no alcohol, like in, um, um, uh, I don't know what countries, but it was he was fine there too. He would just and then they'd start talking, and he'd bring out all these, this cultural things from these different people and their lifestyle, and share these things and ideas with these people, and it just sort of proved that we're all a great bunch on this world <laughs> it's just fantastic <laughs> yes that's very beautiful and optimistic yeah. you're optimistic then you feel that um while sometimes in your work it's like the peeling away the carapace of material reality might uh, can bring a lot of strangeness and writhing creatures you think that the ultimate reality is bliss the bliss, ultimate beauty. reality is so good there's nothing to worry about everything is great the ultimate reality. And it's this thing about, um, I don't know why we all, uh, they say sparks off the divine and we've gone out and we've gone into these, this world and it's mighty real. This is like real. It's like if you hit your head on this, it would really hurt. And, um, but it's, I don't know why uh, there's even a dream suffering if like if this is like an illusion or maya or whatever but it is that way and we're going through it but the ultimate reality is absolutely beautiful and blissful and filled with love packed with love and everything is fine everything is fine and one day they say we wake up from this the analogy is that coiled rope on the path and we mistake it for a snake. And But it's always been a rope. There is no snake. There never was a snake. And one day you wake up in enlightenment and you realize this thing was that. But it doesn't matter. While we're in it, it's mighty real. And we just do the best we can. Mm-hmm. You care about comedy? I love comedy. I I I I love the fact that you can make people laugh. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. really great. I think laughter is if you can bring that out in people, so much stress can come out with that, but the ultimate stress buster is transcending, but still comedy is very important. Very important. It's so beautiful because it can be quite revelatory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you hit things where people, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a magic act. You find a thing, and it's like almost like brand new, but it brings out a laugh. It's crazy. It's like mathematics. You do this, and you do this, and you get a laugh. It's incredible. Do you know that we're on the 9th of June doing an event with the David Lynch Foundation? I heard about this just about an hour ago. It's named after you. It's the David Lynch Foundation. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's uh, it'll be at the I believe the Fonda Theatre, and it's a 
me i think you're going to be there which i know you love because i understand you love appearing live <laughs> for groups of people with their attention yeah, focused on you if you're there i'll be there <laughs> <laughs> that's so lovely well david thank you it's very kind of you i'm happy to talk to you forever but my sense is that you have uh, obligations at 115 130 these are times, these are numbers that relate to points in the exactly limitlessness. Right. Limitless. It's just limitless, Russell. It's so fantastic. You see the beauty sometimes. You see the beauty sometimes maybe in the children and, and nature, moment yes. to moment, moments of beauty. Yeah, like last night I was walking home and there was a breeze. It was pretty chilly, but there was a breeze. And I'm not kidding you. This branch started moving above me. And it was absolutely thrilling. Yeah, like you yeah. feel it's, a, it's communion. It, it was a, alive and it was, you know, it was just, I don't know what it was. It was just thrilling. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's that bark tea then. Yeah, maybe so. Love of the connection of it. Yeah, maybe so. That's very helpful. Yeah. I don't, like, I'd like to get to the point where uh, I can be in that German cellar and just and not almost. suffer, yeah. I thought about it and suffered a little bit. <laughs> We all, we've been there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David Lynch, for Russell, your time. Russell, it's so great. You're fantastic. Thank you very much. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you very much. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with David Lynch. If you are left wanting, needing, waiting, aching for more, come and see me live in conversation with David Lynch on June the 9th at the Fonda Theatre in Los Angeles. And remember, all proceeds from that event will go to... Uh, teach meditation to the women at friendly house in la which is a treatment center for women with drug and alcohol issues They're getting better from it so yeah go to russellbrand.com if you want to come and see that i think it's going to be amazing david lynch is a phenomenal thing to see well live recorded you've just listened to the audio of him why not see him live just even to see his the his root lift the hair it's a, so lustrous it's all i could do not to reach over and touch it remember to let me know what you thought of it on instagram tag me at true russell brand or tweet me at rusty rockets with the hashtag under the skin and remember now's time to go and sign up get that luminary app i've got it. it's a perfectly nice app sign up luminary.link forward slash russell to get free months for free after if you don't do that now next under the skins only going to be, be available on luminary next act so you go on itunes or spotify or whatever you get it on it won't be there because it's going to be on this but it's free for another three months okay so sort your life out next week's podcast is with jamila jamil fantastic conversation about what would we say uh body positivity mental health fame loads of stuff in the meantime, go and listen back to some of the previous episodes. Blind Boy, Jordan Peterson, Naomi Klein, Jack Monroe. All fantastic educational podcasts. It's a hell of a catalogue and I'm most proud of it. Remember, if you want to come see me in LA, keep looking at russellbrand.com and my social media feeds because we're doing these little intimate gigs. They're very interesting, um, honest and raw, funny, but mostly they're about trying to find a new spiritual methodology to cope with a material world on the point of implosion as we completely lose faith in capitalism and modern politics. My latest book, Mentors, is available as an audiobook on Kindle or in hardback in the US and Canada, Australia, of course, Ireland, all over the place. It's been like a recovery. has been translated into eight languages, but none of them human. 
all just made up sounds. Can you imagine? Now check out Recovery as well if you're interested in uh, hearing about my take on the 12 steps. And check out my Netflix special, Rebirth. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary Media.